So our gospel reading, which we just heard, uh, is the story of the wedding feast at Cana. It's a story that we are uh, well familiar with. It's a marvelous story, a very theologically rich story, but it's also a story that has puzzled many uh, over the years. And here's why. Uh, in John's gospel, this is the first sign that Jesus performs. Uh, John uses the word sign to mean miracle. And in John's gospel, there is a series of signs that Jesus performs. And these signs, they're all meant to indicate who Jesus is, uh, to give us a glimpse uh, into his purpose, his ministry, why he has come into this world. And so you might think this first sign would be different. Right? The first sign, the sign that's going to, uh, again, inaugurate his ministry and, and really showcase why he is here in the world, you might think it would be a healing. That would be a good sign to start with. Jesus comes to bring healing. Or maybe his first sign would be uh, raising someone from the dead. And that would be a, a big one to start with, but it would signify he comes to bring life. Or maybe his first sign could have been calming the sea, signifying that he is Lord of creation. But that's not what we get. Jesus' first sign is basically him fixing a catering disaster, right? Making sure there's enough wine for a wedding party. So why is this the first sign in John's gospel? Now, in order to understand this story, uh, I think we have to read it through a biblical lens, uh, and we have to read it in light of the promises from the Old Testament. Uh, John, when he wrote the gospel, he assumed his readers were familiar with the Old Testament and the promises proclaimed there. And so if we want to understand this, we need to go back to the Old Testament. Now, the church helps us this morning by giving us, in our first reading, a key passage from Isaiah. And I think that passage helps unlock this first sign of Jesus. And I want to read just a, a portion of this to you. This, will be, uh, this is the last two verses that we read. Uh, but again, it is the prophet Isaiah proclaiming a promise of God. It says this, As a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. When you think about all the religions of the world, uh, there is this notion, and I, I think uh, it exists because we kind of intuitively know this, uh, but this notion that God is all-powerful. God is in charge. He is in control. And therefore, we are to worship Him. We are to obey Him. We are to sacrifice to Him. Right? This is something just intuitively we know about God. But then you get this God revealed 
to Israel, for whom all these things are true. He is transcendent. He is all-powerful. He is in charge. And yet, at the same time, this God says to His people, as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder, the one who built everything, the one who created you, created this world, so shall your builder marry you. God in Isaiah, and in fact, this is a theme throughout the Old Testament. There is this, this promise made that, that God wants to enter into the most loving and intimate and life-giving relationship that we can ever imagine. Right? With, the, with the metaphor of husband and wife and their intimacy being the closest metaphor that we have. Now, that is an astounding promise and claim made in the Old Testament. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Uh, one of the great privileges of being a priest is getting to conduct uh, weddings. And one of the things I, I love about being a priest at a wedding is you get the best seat in the house. You get to stand right up there with the bride and the groom, just a few feet away from them. You get to watch their faces, their, their smiles, their joy, their, their tears at time. It's this beautiful, intimate moment that you get to be with them. And uh, in every wedding that I perform, one thing I do is when the bride enters from the back, of the church right at the beginning of the service, everyone, of course, stands, and we all look at this beautiful bride. But I always take a moment to look at the groom because I love seeing his face, the joy on his face, and the awe, the realization that in just a few moments, he gets to spend the rest of his life with this beautiful bride walking down the aisle. That's how God, we're told, that's how God thinks of us, thinks of you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. It's this extraordinary claim that the Scriptures make that our Creator, our Builder, wants to marry us. And when we remember this promise, when we hold on to it, all of a sudden, the fact that Jesus' first sign, the fact that it takes place at a wedding, it begins to make sense. This is what our gospel reading said. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. We're told it's the third day. As Christians, we immediately think of the resurrection. So that's a clue from John that this is a story about resurrection life. So they're all at this wedding, but a problem arises. They run out of wine. 
Now, as we probably know, in traditional cultures, weddings are a big deal. I mean, they're a, they're a big deal in our, our culture. Sometimes uh, our wedding parties go late in, into the night. But in some traditional cultures, weddings and the parties, they can last for days. And that was true in Jesus' day. Weddings could last up to a week, and it was a time for the whole community to celebrate. And the key, the key to the wedding party was the wine. I mean, if you're going to celebrate a wedding for a week, you're going to need some wine to help you. Wine, it, it, it lifts up your spirits. It makes the wedding party a party. And so this problem of the wine running out, it is no small matter. It's not as if they say, oh, well, we're out of wine. Now we're going to serve water or we're going to serve some iced tea. No, when the wine runs out, the party is over. Now think about this through a biblical lens. Wine, this, this drink that lifts up our spirits. In the Bible, wine is symbolic of divine life. The divine life that lifts us up, intoxicates us, raises up our spirits. These people are running out of wine. That's Israel in their sin. That's the human race, all of us, divorced from God, divorced from divine life, running out of His grace. That's the problem. It's the problem we face. And who steps in to fix it, to give us this wine again, this divine life? It's Jesus. Jesus fixes the problem. It says this, Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Jesus said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. There's a lot to, to say here. We, we could talk about the fact that Jesus doesn't just snap his finger and, and make some wine appear. No, he tells them to go and to get some water, to fill up the water jars. He wants their cooperation just like the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus asked them to, to bring the few fish and the few bread that they have. Bring me what you have and I'll, I'll do something with it. Bring me your water. Contribute and I'll do something with it. That's what happens when we bring things to Jesus. He does things with them. We could talk about that. Or we could talk about the incredible amount of wine he makes, 180 gallons of it, the best of the best. Jesus doesn't say, well, how much do you need? I'll, I'll cover that. No, he makes this extraordinary amount, and it speaks to the overflowing generosity of God. We could talk about that. But what I really want us to see this morning is this one character who pops up in the story. It's the character 
of the chief steward. Remember, we read this. Jesus said to them, said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Jesus said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. Uh, this character of the chief steward, we don't, we don't really have uh, an equivalent character uh, or person at our weddings today. Um, the actual translation is master of the banquet or lord of the feast. Uh, they're kind of a master of ceremonies, an MC, And their job is basically to make sure the party is a party. They are there to make sure everybody is having a good time. They are the master of the banquet. Now, here is what we are supposed to see in this first sign. Who is the real master of the banquet? Who supplies the wine, this intoxicating wine? Who really makes the party a party? And the answer is Jesus. In John's gospel, that's what he wants us to see, first of all. Jesus is saying in this first sign, by making wine his calling card, he's saying, yes, I have come to bring self-denial. I've come to bring humbling. I've come to bring rules and regulations. I've come to name sin. That is all true. But what am I ultimately here to do? What's the point of this? Where am I driving the universe? And Jesus says, ultimately, I am here to make a feast. I'm here to make a party. That is why I've come. We talked about the importance of um, the Old Testament promises and prophecies. And in Isaiah 25, uh, there's another promise. And again, John's readers would have been familiar with this. Uh, but this is Isaiah. He is looking towards the future of God's world and God's plan for his world. And this is what he writes so many years before. He says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast, a feast of the finest foods and the finest wines, of rich food and well-aged wines. And God will destroy on this mountain the darkness that covers the people, and He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces and the disgrace of His people. He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Isaiah says, the Lord of hosts will make for His people a feast. And Jesus says, I have come to bring that feast. I have come to bring the joy of God. Not too long ago, I was uh, driving through Alabama, and I won't, I won't pick on Alabama too much. I know they had a rough week. I don't know if there's any Alabama fans here or listening, but driving down the interstate, and I see this big sign, a big, big billboard, 
And on it, it says this, go to church or the devil will get you. And there was this little um, a demon kind of popping out of the side of the sign. Go to church or the devil will get you. Now, as believers, we do need to take the power of evil seriously. As AA says about alcohol, evil is cunning, baffling, and powerful. The evil one hates us and hates the things of God. As 1 Peter says, the evil one seeks to devour us. So I don't, I don't criticize that aspect of the sign. What I do criticize, though, is the idea that we worship God because we're afraid of what's going to happen if we don't. That is not why we worship God. We worship God out of joy. The gospel is about joy. It is about this wonderful, overwhelming promise about what God has done for us in Jesus and continues to do for us. It's about this future He has for us, this joyful future. As we pray in one of the Eucharistic prayers, He has brought us out of error into truth, out of sin into righteousness, out of death into life. The gospel is not about fear, it is about joy. Conversion is not about fear, it is about joy. And that's what Jesus says. He says, I come to make a feast. I come to make the world run with wine. I come to bring the joy of God. And again, why does he do this? Well, it's because he delights in us. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. God rejoices over you. So you see, you see how this sign that at first is, is kind of puzzling. You see why it is the perfect sign to start with. We have run out of wine. The divine life that lifts us up, intoxicates us, raises our spirits, we've turned away from that life. But Jesus comes to make sure that the party doesn't end. He comes to be Lord of the feast. And so today we celebrate by feasting around this table to receive again the life that God gives to us and promises to us for eternity. Amen.